The modern English word, word, came from the old Norse word, weird. Which doesn't mean strange like it might sound. It actually meant destiny. You see, to a Scandinavian Viking, the words you say shaped your destiny. And to really explore this, we have to look at Odin. Odin was the chief god of the Norse, and his name meant frenzy. He was trapped in this world alongside of us, and he was terrified about the end of time when Ragnarok would come, and he was prophesied to be killed by a monster. The Norse saw all extreme states of frenzy and ecstasy as attempts by Odin to possess us so that he could use us to figure out ways to help him change his destiny. The berserk rage of a warrior, the thirst for power from a king, the frenzy of a shaman. Odin was Nietzsche's will to power, the urge inside life for extremes as opposed to the boring, mediocre life. It looked like Odin understood that reality was a computer simulation, like the Matrix, which the Norse called Yggdrasil. The Norns lived at the bottom of Yggdrasil, and they coded the simulation with magic words. Here is where all of our destinies were written. Odin got the idea that he could go down to the bottom of the tree figure out a way to rewrite his destiny. And so he hopped on his horse and he traveled down and down until he came to the well of Urd at the very root of Yggdrasil, the world tree. There he met Myrmir. Myrmir had spent his existence drinking from the sacred well. He was the most knowledgeable being of all. Odin asked them, How do I change my destiny? And Mirmir said, Hang yourself upon the tree, cut yourself until you bleed, and over time you will see the runes that order destiny. And so Odin slit himself, hung himself up upon the tree, and stared, screaming for nine days into the ancient well. And just as he was upon the brink of death, the runes revealed themselves to him, the sacred coding language of reality. And in joy, Odin took these letters back up to the top of the tree and began to use them to recode reality, hoping that these new words he created would change his destiny of dying during Ragnarok. All of us struggle to be taken serious. All of us want to be respected and admired by our peers. We want girls to like us and guys to take us seriously. But the problem of the jargonite, the person who is stuck in their head, is that they are not taken seriously by anyone. They are sort of ignored. And this might be someone who's very, very smart, 
someone who's got all this big brain knowledge that they've collected from Reddit, from libraries, all over the place. They've like gathered up all this knowledge and they've stacked it within the filing cabinet of their mind. And they want to they want to be admired for something. Now they can't really be admired for who they are because they don't like who they are deep down. They don't admire themselves. They don't feel like they are something, shall we say, worthy of admiration. So what they do is they actually start to think that the knowledge that they have gathered is what they should be admired for. I am special because of my knowledge. I'm the enlightened one. I've stacked this big blockage of jargon within my mind and I, I wish to show people that I have this. And then if, if I actually build this up and make this perfect palace of jargon in my mind of concepts and words and show it to people, people will like me. People will be like, wow, that guy's really smart. Wow, that guy knows a lot of stuff. Why that, that information guy, he's really, maybe girls will be like, it's really hot how much he knows about biology and about, 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 <laughs> about physics. Like, it's so gorgeous. It's so sexually attractive to see how much knowledge he has. And the Jargonite begins to believe that it's like, all right, if I can present this, if I can give this, if I can show people what I know, then... They will respect me, and of course, what will happen is my destiny will change. My reality will change. I'll go from being a low-status person who's ignored, who does not have access to beautiful girls in order to pass on my genes, and handsome Chad men in order to uh, build and create things together, and be of high status, and smoke cigars with, and all this type of stuff. And so, if I can get this this knowledge thing sorted out and present my, my, my knowledge correctly and, and show people really what my knowledge is all about, then this is what will lift me up this hierarchy towards the highest status position possible. And so the jargonite, the information guy, he, he runs around and he starts to try to show, he starts to try to explain to people, he overcomes all that fear of talking to people and he's, he goes into the party, he takes has a couple of drinks, you know, and he slings his arm over the girl and he just starts, you know, ranting in her ear about like quantum physics or something like this or young, he's like, do you know, do you know, like, do you know the archetype of, of like the nice guy? Yeah, like, do you know, all this? <laughs> he just starts blathering all that down, he sees the guys and he's like, oh, I see what you did there, guy, I see you're out there being an alpha male. Do you know what I learned about an alpha male off Reddit? Like, here's here's some here's some definitions. I, th I thought you needed some definitions to kind of help you along there. And he starts to inform. He becomes an informer. He becomes a, a teller, a describer, an information guy. And he's communicating in this type of way. And he's obviously doing it to change his destiny. But sadly, it doesn't seem to work. There's something about what he's doing. He doesn't quite know what it is yet. There's something about what he's doing that is just not working. People get turned off. The guys don't respect him. They say, well, what the hell are you talking about? I don't care what you, I don't care about your definitions. I don't care about your talk. You, you're, you're not it. Whatever you're trying to tell me, you're just not the thing you want to be. And the girls are doing the same. They're just viscerally rejecting him. They're just turning away. Even though he has all this complex knowledge and he is telling them now, they're just like, I'm not interested in that. Something maybe instinctive, something deeper down. It's quite demoralizing. And so, of course, what the Jargonite will do, he'll do what all Jargonites do. He will go onto the internet and he'll try to find answers. He'll go into YouTube and he'll watch charisma YouTubers. He'll watch charisma YouTubers who talk about seduction and social skills and charisma and all this type of stuff. And they'll all say stuff like, it's like, well, look, you can't just talk. You have to talk in a way to make things interesting. You have to talk in a way that actually 
colors things in, if you will, that actually, you know, makes your knowledge come out a little bit better. You want to be a bit more like Russell Brand. You want to be a bit more like Russell Brand where you talk and everything's flowery. You want to look at Steph up there in Uberboy. He's talking about the silliest things ever, but he's he's making them all flowery and it's all interesting for these type of reasons. And this is what it is. The true, the people who get all the attention are the people who talk in a flowery way, in a complex and um, beautiful Shakespearean use of language. So you've got to take all that stuff you know and you've got to churn it up and say it in a pretty way. You've got to say what poetry or something like this. And of course, there's a bit of truth to this. Of course, if you're able to artistically represent what you're saying, you will be an awful lot more interesting. Um, And that's a good thing. But there's something wrong with this as well, because of course, this jargon, being very smart, being very well informed, will do this. They will sit down and they will gather up all this information that they have and, and figure out ways that they can present it in interesting ways, ways to turn the phrases, ways to speak more poetically and whatnot. And they come around and maybe even lift their energy up and be more like, hey, guys, and they try to project their personality an awful lot more and be more flowery and be more high energy and like a spaghetti monster walking in and moving their hands a lot because they read about body language and all this and, and, and thinking about social dynamics and all this type of stuff and getting all this stuff working working out. And, and what, what is interesting is they try this as well. And they start to get attention. They stop getting maybe disrespected as bluntly, but they're not necessarily respected or liked. They're more seen as like a circus freak. Oh, you come in and you're like, oh, flowery Russell Brand-like energy and all this stuff. And and people look at them and be like, wow, that guy's weird. Oh, that guy's funny. That guy's interesting. Oh, that guy gets attention. He's like a comedian in the corner. It's like a, a show that's being put on. And he's saying all these funny, crazy, interesting things. It's like some type of show, some type of thing. And he'll get attention, but he won't get respect. For example, among the men, the men might think, oh, he's kind of a quirky guy. He's he's funny enough to listen to for a while, but he won't be the type of guy that deep down in his soul feels viscerally that he's maybe dangerous or respectful or like a very, very strong character. He won't feel something very, very specific among men. He won't feel just like, oh, this is the guy I'd like to stand beside in a war. He'll, he'll look at him as like a, an entertainment piece, but he won't say, I would like him to be on my shoulder in the trenches. He won't do that. The same with the girls. The girls will be like, oh, he's funny to listen to. He he adds the, the, the kind of color to the air a little bit. And he's like, a, you know, he's like an entertainment piece, a circus piece, like the TV in the corner, the iPhone entertaining me but she doesn't feel deep down in her body it's like I want this man's children she doesn't feel that at all she doesn't feel her nervous system down in her down in her body saying please I this is this is beautiful I feel this energy of of want of him this feels like strength this feels like I'm in the presence of a real man someone with real power someone I respect and this becomes a very, very difficult problem because the poor Jargonite is now completely burnt out all the resources on the internet and he's turned into a circus freak who knows a lot of stuff, but no one respects him. He's still stuck in this problem where he's not high status. He's not he's not getting gaining the respect of people. And he's tried to learn how to storytell. He's tried to learn how to communicate. He's tried to learn all these types of things, but he's, he hasn't achieved anything. He has, he has failed completely. Now, of course, I am incredibly compassionate towards the Jargonites. I love them. I understand where they come from. I am quite a Jargonite myself, and I I see how you can get stuck being information guy. I see that. I see the the problems people have with this, and I am here to offer the solution. I want to help them. And I know that in order to speak to a Jargonite, you must offer solutions in a way that is digestible to them. 
So I want, what I want to, to speak to the jargonites, what I would show them, if I was to make a video on YouTube, a piece of information that they could go to that would help them break out of this, so I would actually take them through the etymology of the words, a very big-brained idea, you know, a very nerdy, intellectual idea. Let's go through the etymology of words, because I know that will reel them in. I know how to talk to these guys. That will reel them in. They're like, oh, etymology, or oh, nerd speak and all this. So how about we do the, the most meta-etymological thing possible? How about we look at the history of the word? Word. Okay, the word word comes from Germanic Norse. English is a Germanic language. And of course, this the best way you can think about this is the Vikings. So a lot of these guys, these are all the Norts, the Nordic Vikings. They were all like, hopping on ships and sailing around the world and, and, and annoying us noble civilized Irish. They were coming in and stealing our books. Maybe they were based in Redfield. They're stealing our books. <laughs> Maybe we were in the wrong, but I don't think so. We were the civilized Irish with all the we, the good people, the people of God. And of course, these these grug Vikings came in and like stole our books and then like burnt down our monasteries and basically just ended civilization as they, the only thing they can do and anyway they ended up conquering us because they're more evil than we are and then um, they they established they forced the language upon us it's now it's now now we all use english that's basically the story of history right there so what you notice about this word word is that it comes down from an old norse word which meant weird which is actually the word for destiny or fate now this old word word this idea of destiny the tying of these two strange concepts it's very hard for our minds to wrap ourselves around what this might mean like what's going on here these the, these these Vikings, what were they sort of thinking? Why why was it making sense? How did this make sense to them? Now, the way you could think about this is actually quite similar to the, the law of attraction. You can imagine the Vikings in their longboat reading the secret, you know, and thinking to themselves, if I think, they're like a load of Napoleon Hills, just charging through the ocean towards Ireland and thinking to themselves, right, if I say it, it will become, it will become manifest. They're like manifesting their reality, manifesting their de destiny, they're visualizing, they're all these crazy guys just sort of willing the world to change in some type of sense. And and this idea of of, of thinking, of, of conceptualizing, of articulating, even in vision and speech, this is tied to the idea of fate and destiny and future. And it starts to make a little bit of sense there if you imagine them like law of attraction Vikings. This is the new definition of how the Vikings work. And the thing about this is, is that it's not just trivial words. This is what's so fascinating about our modern con uh, conceptions of language. We see language as a trivial tool that just can be thrown around and used in a flowery way to mean anything at all. It can be, it can be just like dancing pretty concepts that have no point or weight to them at all. But the Vikings didn't see it that way. The Vikings saw words as destiny. They saw them as very heavy things, very serious things. If you say something, you're not supposed to just fucking talk shit. You're supposed to say what you mean, and you're supposed to be very, very careful about what you say. And what this does, this, this focus on making your words very, very real and visceral, is that it gives them weight. It gives them body. It gives them heaviness. Now, this is where you the jargon I can start to learn what he's starting to look for, because, of course, the jargon I, to this point has only seen words as these funny little concepts that he can dazzle people with or maybe act flowery and circus-like but he's never thought about adding body to them adding balls to them adding some type of weight to his words adding some type of gravitas to his words consequence to his words think about it this way 
If I say to you, um, I will fight any man who disrespects me, and then you're thinking, oh, cool cool idea, bro, but then someone disrespects me and I actually stand up and I fight him, you're going to kind of think, right, that guy actually means stuff when he says it. If I'm going to go around and say to myself, all right, I'm I'm going to do 400 push-ups today, and you say, ah, yeah, I've said that before, and then you actually do those 400 push-ups, it's, it's like you've created a, a relationship between the truth and your words. You You've, create, you've made your words real and serious. It's like when you say something, your willpower is going to come up and back it up. And so instead of you being like a comedian funny guy, when you speak, people are like, whoa, oh God, he's after saying something again. That means he's going to do something. He's going to take action. There's a relationship between your words and your actions. And therefore, there's a relationship between your words and your destiny. And this gives this gravitas, this weight, this power, this charge to your words, because it's like, all right, that's a person who follows through with what he says. That's a person who actually takes action. That's a person who has willpower underneath his words. And this creates something quite profound with language and words. It's an awful lot like money, actually, in terms of the concept of value. We use fiat money right now. Fiat money is very abstract. It's very much like a circus. It's very much inflated. It's trivial. Money can just be printed out of nowhere and it can mean anything. It's all conceptual and in our mind. It's all very left hemispheric up there in the noggin and all this type of stuff. And the idea of what money is, it's like, it's it's not like, it's just, it's just fiat. It's just like a floating cloud, you know? Whereas you can think about money like Bitcoin, money like gold, money like, you could say, money backed by hegemony. These things have got weight underneath them. You know, gold is heavy, real, solid, value-based material that you can pick up and you can see, you can use it, you can make it to make things. It's got weight underneath it. Bitcoin is driven by pure, raw energy. There's energy underneath this. This gives body, this gives balls to the money. When you take out a gold coin, there's something quite profound about it, something quite magical. Whereas you take out a dollar and it's like, well, there's billions of other these floating around trillions of these floating around they could just make a trillion more of these tomorrow it's not like these are they're trivial dollars they're trivial um pieces of value of of measurement whereas the the bitcoin and the gold has balls has weight has energy has charge literally this is the same with words words have this type of thing and if you're looking to gain respect of course you need to start thinking along these lines you need to think about how you can take your words and stop them being fiat and make them a a energy-backed currency that's what you start to think and this actually means that you can't talk as much because if you just talk trivially all the time and say whatever you so feel like you think or or recite information that you haven't tested out your your words become fiat your words inflate they become nonsense they can become trivial and no one takes you serious but if you're that man of action if you're that person who asserts if you're that person who says i'm going to do it and then you follow through if you're that person who doesn't speak unless they really really mean it your words get this power and then people start to see you differently people start to see you differently especially because you're acting but of course also because the way you talk you're you've got it's like this very very strong character you'll have all these virtues like humility you won't talk shit you won't talk out of turn but when you do talk it's very like serious it's got that type of energy and you can be very very funny this way you can be actually probably more funny than any comedian could be because your funny funny funniness is connected with reality it's very shocking it's very very powerful in its emotional charge and that's all the humor is it's like anticipation shock charge these type of things it makes you into someone respectable 
It's a very magical thing when you think about it. It begins with your spirit, with your ability to connect with how you're using your words and your ability to actually psychologically discipline yourself. Like the way Jung would say that you, you're, the beginning of the creation of your character is to actually go in and start to develop a humility with your psychology to master your inner world. And Nietzsche is the same thing, talking about this idea of destiny and future. Now, what does this look like in practice, you're probably saying? You're probably saying, all right, Steph, good, good, good on Steph. You, you told me some interesting jargon here, but what do I actually do? Well, look, think about it this way. Think about this in practice. You are, you, are, you are in social situations all the time where you use words all the time. This is the perfect measurement of this. And what you notice is that there's the, the, the fiat, the realm of concepts and words and abstractions, the abstract realm of conversation, which you're just tossing words around. And we all do this in a very, very trivial way. We all just throw words around. Hey, how's the weather? What's going on? But underneath this, there's an emotional reality. There's the nervous system. There's the body and your, your feelings, basically. And this is part of the conversation, too, you know, in a simplest way than when there's a man and a woman there might be there might be tingles going on inside the body somewhere people might be tingling together and god knows why that is happening what's going on there why, where are there tingles between these two people maybe maybe they're interested in each other or something like this and so they could be like hey how's the weather and she could be like wow it's, it's very very nice yeah and it's like all right there's there's tingles going on here there's more going on here than what the words are saying the words are a fiat they're up in the air in a cloud but what what's happening in the body is the real story that's where the charge is that's where the emotion is that's where the energy is and whatnot now when you're an all social situations, this body will be actually talking to you all the time, telling you certain things. So when someone says something to you, they're like, um, maybe they say something you don't agree with, you know, and you'll feel this urge inside of you, you feel this energy inside of you that's sort of like, I don't like that. I don't agree with that. They might say that all Irish people are uncivilized. And of course, I would feel this urge inside of me. It's like, I don't like that at all, because Irish people are extremely civilized. And I'd feel that. But of course, I don't want to start an argument because an argument is actually quite, it's, it's, it's quite difficult to do that. It's quite, it's, it's, it requires energy. It's actually quite a lot of tension. It's um, scary in some sense. It's intimidating. This person might be very, very charismatic, you know, and I'd be, be worried about saying something. And so I don't want to disagree. So what I'll do is I'll just be like, yeah, well, I guess, yeah, in some sense we drink a lot. Like, yeah, we're, we're quite uncivilized and I'll go along with it and I'll, I'll push that energy out of me and, and I'll push it right down maybe into my belly and get rid of that charge and then allow myself to just churn out whatever words will make the situation nice and easy to deal with. Low on tension, low on charge, low on, on, on energy, if you will. And what this does is I actually push away, you could say, gravitas and body and weight and electricity. It's like it's Bitcoin. I'm like I'm trying to make my currency solid and I actually push away. I say, no, get rid of the Bitcoin, get rid of the electricity. We don't want that. We don't want that charge because charge is tension. Tension is difficult. The breaking rapport hurts. It hurts. It's, it's emotionally taxing. It's difficult to do this. Now, of course, the, the, if you flip this on its head, if you flip this reality and you start to realize that, okay, when that charge bubbles up and someone says Irish people aren't civilized and I feel that bubble charge come up into my chest, for example, and I know everything in me is like, you're going to get in an argument if you say, if you disagree, if you, you assert yourself, if you push against, if you aim for conflict, if you let this tension come out and you project that tension on the other person and hurt their feelings, you say, no, 
I disagree with you. And then they'll feel this big pressure of social tension upon their nervous system. If you do that, you're going to create a lot of energy. You're going to introduce energy into the world. And you're going to, it's going to be awkward. You might even get in a fight. That's probably what your nervous system is thinking about, especially if it's a man. It might be a fight, so you got to be careful here. But the thing is, is that if you do that, you're inviting energy into your life. You're inviting, actually, you're connecting your words with your felt experience of your body and your emotions. You're connecting your words with the tensions in your body. You're giving your words psychic charge. You're giving your words magical power. And you do this enough around people. You assert yourself, you assert your reality, you say what you think, you push, you, you connect with your emotions and you allow that. It's almost like you're allowing the passions to speak through you. People will start to feel that charge around you because, as I said, when you speak it out loud, it's like the charge goes into your words and then it hits people and they feel, whoa, I felt that in my chest. That guy disagreed with me. And now I have to stand up for myself. And you'll find that actually oftentimes they will buckle because they're a human like you and they're used to just talking frivolously and people not challenging them. And then you're this person who challenges them and they're like, whoa, that hurt. That's scary. And then they might even start doing funny stuff. You'll notice this where they're like, oh, well, you know, okay, yeah, agree to disagree. Well, I guess you're right. And then they'll change their opinion that you'll find out that they don't actually mean it. They don't mean it. They don't have what you could say the ability to face the tension in their body. And so what you'll find is that the truth or the transparency or the connection, the, the true instincts inside of you that are speaking, the true nervous system reality, the spiritual psychological reality connected to your words is extremely powerful, but it requires you to have a very specific attitude. And this attitude is a pro-tension attitude, a conflict orientated attitude. This is a part of you that wants tension, charge, energy. It wants to add that proof of work, proof of energy, proof of power to the feelings inside your body. And this gives your words balls. Now, the Jargonite struggles with this because this takes everything out of his hands, which he's able to control, which is concepts and jibber jabber and chatterbrainism and noggonism and words. It takes all that stuff, which is very, very gentle and easy. Words don't hurt your feelings. They don't, they don't like, you know, books don't attack you. Books don't punch you in the face. Books don't steal your stuff. Books don't insult you. Books just sort of sit there. Unless they're Nietzsche, they're probably not going to try to hurt your feelings. They just sit there and they're just nice and pretty and well-written and written to flatter you and written to stimulate your intellect and you're able to sit there and just reorganize them or whatever way you wish. But of course, when you actually want to add body and and uh, you want to back your, your linguistic currency with real energy and real, real balls, this is a really big struggle because this hurts. This requires you to get into the realm of emotions. It requires you to actually get out of your head. It requires you to actually hate everything that comes from your words and your linguistic conceptual mind and your abstract rationalizing mind. It requires you to hate all that and start to focus more on connecting them to the felt experience of the body and the felt experience of reality. Now, what's so fascinating is that this little story about the breaking rapport, when you're in that social situation and that tension bubbles up and that instinct inside of you is saying, no, assert yourself, say something different. This is actually, it's like the will to power. It's like the little bit of fire inside you. The, the part of you that wants to assert yourself and be ambitious and push yourself up against the world and fight and challenge and go against things. This is the instinct inside of you of Aries or Mars or ambition and it's always shouting inside of you very very secretly because you've you've been filled with testosterone you've been filled with will you've been filled with this energy from the beginning this is how nature has made you now the old Norse fascinatingly understood this as Odin Odin literally meant frenzy now this Odin this charge inside of you this god Odin what he's trying to do is he's trying to 
he, he exists within all the people who are assertive, who are ambitious, who are exceptional in these type of ways, who are willing to push against the mob, willing to push against, you could say, the sort of gentle, calm village of society towards the, you could say, conflict res re resolving parts of society, the more this parts of society that suit priests and women and children, the parts of society where you don't want everybody fighting together, you don't want everybody going status jockey jockeying, you want everybody to kind of relax and remain equal and sharing everything and together this sort of feminine realm this realm of the village this realm of civilization but of course Odin was not interested in that realm he didn't really appear to those people he wasn't really the god of the, the, the masses the people if you will he was actually the god of the exceptions he was god of the outcasts the people the men who had a crazy high testosterone and were sort of criminal and had to be kicked out so they go find their own thing these were usually what the Vikings were men who were kicked out of the, the old village the, the kings who had to see things from like you know the king who had power unrivaled among everybody in the village and had to see things differently and make decisions that couldn't possibly be made um, in by, by, by the by the people and whatnot the um the, the the warriors who had to fight and, and take on the world and think in terms of massive competition and risk and death this urge inside of the warrior to say I would rather die than be a slave I'd rather die than be low status this urge inside the warrior that screams towards ambition and whatnot the um, artist the shaman these type of characters who want to attack the the, the everything about the truth and everything about reality until they break free from the mob and create something new to pour something out of their soul that is absolutely fresh and real this ambitious energy that comes out of these type of people Odin is is that energy that screams inside all of them it's the frenzy that makes them seem like a crazy person within the context of the village but actually leads to this incredible ambitious creation and ability to change their destiny and of course Odin was the god of weird Odin was the god of destiny Odin was the god of creation and of course what's so fascinating about this word weird the original origin word word is that when the, the the Christians came in and formulated a religion for the village formulated a religion that is based on pl placating the society and made it a universal religion they of course began to demonize Odin they began to demonize these exceptional people and they began to demonize this and they actually took the word weird and they turned it into the modern English word weird which means strange or freakish or outside or unusual or dangerous the strange exceptions and they said everybody should be in the middle everybody should be placated and normal everybody should be among the village our morality as Nietzsche would say is the true morality instead of understanding that there's a small exception who have a very special relationship with reality a very magical relationship with reality that puts them beyond good and evil and of course this this energy is the key thing to, to connect with it is the most um, ambitious and assertive and creative and fertile energy it's the source of all new things in the world this energy that screamed in Napoleon that lifted him up towards creating whatever he was trying to create the same energy that made Nietzsche go absolutely nuts and do his own thing the same energy in Jung that made him go shamanically out into the past and manifest his own whole new vision of psychology this energy is very very special and it's something that will be crushed by society and society will not like it society will try to put put that tension down because all new things need to be created in conflict and violence creation is violence creation is clashing against the old and manifesting the new creation is the warrior creates himself by clashing against the old kings and orders and in order to create his new vision and his, his new reality and whatnot and you connect with that in your heart in your in your personality in your psychology in your nervous system you connect with that you connect with that in your spirit and if you connect with that deeply Odin this is what it is Odin friends you connect with that 
that. You bind your words to this. You give your words to Odin. You align your words with this energy inside of you. And Odin does what he does, where he lifts you up into the position of ex uh, exceptional status, which is actually what he used to do with the warriors who he favored, the warriors who were coherent enough, who were brave enough. He would lift them up and bring them into this eternal um, paradise of Valhalla, where they could be warriors forever. They could be purely chads among themselves, the ultimate the ultimate Jimbro um, paradise and all this type of thing. And it's, an actually, it's a beautiful and very coherent and interesting way of looking at things. Now, this is not just exclusive to the Norse. I'm not trying to say that we're all, we all have to convert to feckin' Norse paganism or something like this. I'm saying that you look at what was going on there and you see this psychological relationship to the emotions that the pagans were, were orchestrating. And you start to see it everywhere. And you start to see it actually related to words everywhere as well. You see all over the place these types of patterns that suggest this very, very special way of looking at words and truth and emotions and psychology and ambition and energy. The Romans worshipped Mars. Mars was the god of, of war, the god of will. It was the exact same sort of impulse inside of them. It's literally, you could say, assertive, ambitious, crazy testosterone personified. That ability for you to break free and assert that type of energy and they they deified that 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 psychological reality as the god mars the same as odin has that sort of frenzied power about him too now the romans also took the word of virtue and connected it to this ability to face reality virtue before christianity came along literally meant virile ability to assert yourself upon the world i've talked about this before and this was this bonding between all of this stuff and nietzsche noticed that the the, the nature of the romans was 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 so much more admirable than almost any other place in the world, specifically because of this bonding and connection they had through Latin to these this idea of virtue and straightforwardness and directness and you could say Martian martial energy and whatnot. And he said he called this the Roman style. You can think of this like. Um, Julius Caesar. He doesn't write this big, long, abstract, theoretical, conceptual book about how he conquered something and all this type of stuff. Instead, he comes in with Veni Vidi Vici, which is, I came, I saw, I conquered. It's punch, punch, punch. It's very direct, very masculine, very assertive, very to the point, very charged. Every single word there is just absolutely echoing with power because of course he actually did it he all those words are, are backed by the strongest proof of work you can imagine because they were created by a conqueror by a man who went out and did it and this is the only thing that gained respect in rome so it might not have been the most beautiful and 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 um, gorgeous and decorate and baroque um use of language but of course it had charge it had power it had balls and fundamentally this is what language needs this is what words need to be real the spartans were the same thing watch the movie 300 and you'll see this exact way of thinking manifest flawlessly there. You see the Spartans and they're always saying very, very chad stuff. Like, for example, Xerxes saying, um, get down on your knees. And he's like, well, from killing all your men, I hurt my ankle. We will blot out the arrows. We will blot out the sun with our arrows, Spartan, if you do not surrender. And it's like, well, we will fight in the, in the shade. Spartan, quick, put down your weapons and you will live. Okay, Persian, come and get them. And it's all this really laconic punching. There's another one with Alexander the Great's dad who said to the Spartans, if I come down there, I will defeat all of you. And the Spartans sent back a letter with one word, which was if. And the Spartans were those type of people. They were, they were called the Lacedaemonians and they were fully into this idea of don't say anything that you do not back up, you do not mean everything. Our words are not fiat. Our words are the most heavy backed Bitcoin you could imagine. This is all gold. Everything we say is 
is gold. And we look at them through history and they echo with profoundness. We look at 300 and we're like, that's manliness personified. They're all naked, oiling themselves up and saying like, literally every word is this perfect one-liner. And they're all absolutely powerful and amazing and whatnot. This has turned into actually our modern word for this. We call it, and from Lacedaemonia, we call it laconic, laconic speech, punchy to the point. You know, not not dicking about, actually getting serious and, and down. And this is all about connecting with that charge and realizing that this ambitious part of yourself is is tension and conflict orientated, and it's really geared towards this. And when you connect with that and allow it to connect with your words, everything gets a psychic charge. This is also the Nietzschean way of doing this. Nietzsche loved this so much that he tried to write aphorisms all the time, make all of his words compressed so they're almost vibrating with power, write them out as aphorisms. And um, I would like to say in four sentences what most people say in one book. No, not even in one book. This is this true essence and this true energy. How do you give your words body is the ultimate question. Now, a lot of people will be asking, all right, Steph, well, you're being a jargonized Steph. You're being nice and abstract, Steph. What's going on here, Steph? Information, Steph. Is this, is this how it works? Noggonist? Steph the noggonist? I'm like, please, gentlemen, please just don't be abusing me and whatnot. How do I actually do this? So there's a couple of ideas, which again comes back to some very fascinating etymology. One of the simplest things you could think is, is modal verbs. I learned this from teaching English, that we have these things called modal verbs that fuck up most of the people who don't um, speak English. And modal verbs are words like will, should, must, might, could, Okay. Now, there's a, a fascinating thing about modal verbs is that they're used to, to articulate certainty versus uncertainty. And what is most male of all is order, is, is certainty, is firmly creating certainty. There's a chaos of a world and you, like a laser beam, come in and create certainty and order and whatnot. Now, in, in your words, if you're using a lot of modal verbs that are geared towards uncertainty, should, could, might, maybe, this type of stuff. You're using a lot of this. This is very uncertain language. It's very flowery. It's very up in the air. It's very, you know, it's very baseless. It's very fiat. Whereas if you're using must and will, those are very firm. They're very, very heavy. They're very, very powerful. They're very backed. Because if you're saying, I must do this, and of course you mean it, and you will do it, therefore, that's like as heavy as it can get. That's got balls to those type of words. So if you notice, and I've often found this in myself, you'll do stuff like your friend would say, oh, we should meet up next week. And you're like, yeah, yeah, I might meet up with you next week. Yeah, 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 we should, definitely, yeah. And then you don't meet up. You just have to have a conversation that was complete bullshit, just complete fiat, total fiat conversation right there. Completely noggonist, completely blather jargon and all this. Oh, you see this all over the, the internet right now. Oh, we should do this with society. We should do this. Society should be this way. We might be happier if society was this way. We could be so much happier if society was this way. All up in the air, flowery stuff. But what about we will do this? to get that, to make society change this way. I will do this. I will do this. I will do this. There's none of that. No one is ever talking about that. No one's ever talking about, here's what I'm going to do in order to solve the problems. Said, hey, guys, please listen to me. We should. We should blah, 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 blah. It's all up in the air. It's all weak, uncertain language. If you wanted to change on some, if you want to take some practical tip out of what I'm talking about here, you could actually start changing your modal verbs. You could become a, a hater of shoulds, a hater of mights, a hater of, of maybes. You, you could become a hater of that type of stuff and actually say, I'm only going to use will. I will or I will not. That's all it, what it comes down to. It comes down to will. Now, of course, think about this word will. I will. 
This is not where we get, get that idea of willpower, of volition, will to power, that energy. And what am I just talking about? Odin. Odin is that burst of, of energy in order to make something happen. And of course, this actually ties back to this old idea of Nietzsche, Nietzsche's idea of will to power, that fire inside of you to be exceptional. That is, you know, the frenzy of Odin, the Dionysian frenzy of Odin. And this whole word will is so crazy when you start to cross-compare it to other languages. For example, will is how the English people use the future tense. This is how they talk about the future. Now, Romance language, Latin languages, they don't, they don't actually have will in this type of way. This is a Germanic thing almost exclusively, it seems. They, they, they all have what we call a future tense. We, we don't, like, the English don't have a future tense. They use the word will, they use a modal verb instead of a future tense. Because the idea of the future is connected to the idea of willpower. Okay, now this is where this magical thing sort of comes in. So you say, you say with your words, I will do this. Which is literally saying to yourself, I'm going to make a future happen. I will make a future happen. I'm going to push myself upon reality and make a future happen. And this fundamentally ties the idea of the future to your will to the will of the world. Someone is going to will a future into place. Someone's going to will a future into place. And this fundamentally puts you as the active role. This is actually quite a lot of pressure because it sort of says to you that either you will make the future happen or you will not make the future happen, but there is no try, there is no in-between. Either you will do it or someone else will do it. Will is going to happen. There's this conflict of all these type of wills going in. And this is so fascinating because, again, it pulls you down into the body and connects you with those strong, passionate experiences, frenzy, Odin, Mars, the ambition within you, whatever you want to call it. And it drives you in this type of way. It's foundational. It's very straightforward. Either you will trust that and you will go for it or you will not. And what this does is that it, 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 it really, really conflicts the difference between ideology and concepts and noggenism and talking and should and all these things that happen in the pretty village among priests and women and children and on uninitiated men where they have all these ideas and all these ideologies and all these opinions and all this type of stuff there's no body there's no connection like Jung would say there's no ability for you to go into the body and connect with the passions and the emotions and the psychology and actually allow yourself to release that upon the world it's all fiat no bitcoin it's all fiat no bitcoin and what you want to do is you want to think to yourself, how can I create myself out of will? How can I connect myself as firm as I can to willpower, to that inside of me, that desire for me to assert, a desire to me to push upon the world? And of course, you might answer, why was I, ne why was I never thought this? Well, of course, this comes back to that old problem. The, the bookworms, the priestly types, the jargonites, the noggonists, they are the people who are going to sit around in the village. They're not going to be the people who have enough will and enough energy and enough desire to go out and take on the world and risk and go and assert themselves and go out and find Odin among the, the forest and the trees. They're not, going to, they're not going to do that. They're going to sit around the village and they're going to, you know, project. They're going to not have any of this will. They'll have no connection to this fire in their belly. And so what they're going to do is they're going to start to chant out their fiat. They're going to chant out their jargon and their nonsense and their information gathering. And there's no tension inside them. There's no connection with them. They'll, they'll be like, you know, the, the, the celibate, no, no, completely castrated from the realm of the body. And they'll churn out all this information and they'll formulate, they'll be an information guy. And it's like a disease. They're spreading their information guyism to you. And these people become your teachers. These people become your educators. These people become the people who raise you. And these people actually demonize. They demonize.
energize people with will. They fundamentally take the people who have energy and have will and they turn them into the problem. They, oh, like, like you would, like an information guy and a jargonite would when they aren't courageous enough to confront their, their willpower and they push it down and they deny it and they say, I don't want that. It's too scary. It's too difficult. When they're in those social situations, that tension and truth and ambition rises up, they push it down. They're like, no, I don't want that. It's too much tension. And then because they push it down, it's like they're denying it and then they have to start to hate it. Because they've denied it, they must start to hate it. And so they'll start to demonize it and call it Satan and stuff like this. Just like Odin went from being the chief god of the Norse, but when the Christians came in, he turned into Satan. Satan in the Bible never looked like what he looked like when he showed up in Northern Europe. He started to look and act an awful lot like Odin wandering around in the trees. Same in, in the Celtic lands, you know, uh, Satan grew horns and took on these these type of characteristics when they came into Europe. He didn't. He's not like that in the Bible. He's just the adversary in the Bible. He doesn't have these features in the Bible. These are things that were adapted and morphed as these people swarmed into into Europe and whatnot. It's a very fascinating thing to see that. And of course, it comes down from this denial of the instinct, pushing away of that frenzied part of yourself, that ambitious, ambitious part of yourself that makes you will yourself upon the world and attack the world and, and do things that are exceptional and strange and maybe even conflicting and, and, and dangerous and, and outside the norm. And of course, these information guys, because they bully all these people outside the norm, they, they demonize, you could say, the true ambitious excellence within man. They completely, completely hold it in and they, they destroy your ability to actually know this stuff. They, they only, you can't, you can't be grabbed by a man and then pulled out and initiated because all the men have been scared out of the village. And so you're just there by yourself. And so what you end up doing is you listen, you listen to the priest and you allow the priestly type to fill your head with jargon and nonsense and information and you become an information guy. And it also sounds good and it's all all these beautiful ideas about everybody share everything and be all nice to each other but then you go out and you actually start to speak to girls and other men and of course the problem is is that no matter what our noggonists ideas happen we still always have the bodies the nervous system and the body and therefore nature is always there it's always there right alongside of us and no matter what you say the nervous system is not going to change its decisions. Life has already decided what it sees as strong and admirable. And it sees the ambitious man with will and weird and con consistency between his words and his energy as the most beautiful, the most powerful and the, the most uh, respectable. And so even though you, you become an information guy and you're told that it's a beautiful thing, when you go out and you go try to talk to the girls, you're the jargon I'm going to try to talk to the girls, they don't, they, don't, they don't respect you. The men don't respect you. It just doesn't work because it's wrong, because it's, it's an entire massive delusion, a massive delusion of unhumble, selfish people, people actually who were cowards, emotional cowards, people who couldn't confront their fear, couldn't confront the emotions inside of them, couldn't do the one thing which is master their spirit and their spirituality like they always say. So they abstracted it, they turned it into fiat, and then they shoved all that fiat into your pockets and you go out into the world and you find out that it's valueless, it's worth nothing. You want to pay for stuff, you want to buy stuff, but no one respects your fiat because they're all moved on to the Bitcoin standard. They're all gold-backed currencies from now on. These are all the people in reality, connected with nature, and your whole delusion gets popped and you get very angry and sad and so you become a priestly type, but this time you have an animus underneath you that makes you even more aggressive. You might start to hate the beautiful, hate the true, hate the people with will and hate the ambitious. And so the kings of old, the very, very old kings, and this is another Nietzschean idea, actually saw this quite a lot. They saw that the, the people who, are, uh, who deny their, their willpower and, and deny these emotions inside of themselves, 
they they do something quite interesting because the, the king saw that these emotions inside of themselves, this Mars, this Odin, these forces inside of themselves demanded excellence, demanded bravery, actually at the expense of life. The old idea that it's worth dying instead of living a slave. It's literally worth dying instead of living a comfortable slave. That was the, just the thesis of how these emotions speak. When Mars boils up inside of you, you either let it lead you fully towards the risk of ambition, full risk, I'm going to die or make it, you know, get rich or die trying, that type of idea. And you let that out and into your body and into your spirit and into your reality and your, your destiny gets swapped up with it. And then you get respected if you achieve it. You even get respected if you don't achieve it, but you go for it with enough balls. But of course, you, if you deny that, if you lie to yourself, you say that's not true and you push it all the way down into your body and you say, oh, I can take slavery. Oh, I can be, I don't need what my, my, my urges want. I don't need what my ambitions want. Actually, I'm going to demonize my urges as evil, as temptations from Satan. This is what I'm going to demonize them as. What will happen is you're, you're a liar. You're fundamentally untruthful for yourself. You're the most profound liar of all, the hater of life living inside your body. And the kings of old saw this in all of the people that they would subject. They saw it in the priests as well. They would saw that these people, these people are deniers. These are fakers. These are liars. Ambition never, never, never accepts slavery. It dies instead of taking slavery. So if you find yourself in the status of enslavement, in the status of if you find yourself enslaved, you're a liar, you're a fake, you're a fraud, you're fiat currency, you are not Bitcoin. That is what's happening there. And the kings of old saw this and they found it, they found it fascinating. And so the kings of old would refer to themselves as the truthful, the real, the existence, the, 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 the virtuous, the, the, the real people, the good, as Nietzsche would notice. And they would often speak of the, the, the poor or the people beneath them, not necessarily as like, oh, I hate you or you're evil, like we see with, with uh, priests and whatnot. They didn't, they didn't really do that. They just they sort of looked down on them as self-deceptive liars, dishonest, untransparent, not really spiritual in some sense. They don't pay attention to their bodies. They, they, they ignore the, the reality. They're in denial of the truth. And, and this is the sort of vision about this. And Nietzsche called this way of thinking master morality. And we don't want to think of it, it's too loaded to say master versus slave, but think of it on an emotional level. It's not, it's not, I don't want to be like, you know, Chad Masters, I've got the whip and you don't, not, nothing like that. Think of it more in terms of like bravery and the ability to embrace and, and hold on to bravery and follow that ambitious emotion. And how beautiful and true that is. Like Leonidas in 300, like he's, you know, he's not like Xerxes, he's actually the dude who dies, but because he does not die a fucking slave, we all respect him, maybe even more than Xerxes. This is the sort of thinking, you know, it's like that spirit inside of you. Do you have that spirit inside of you where you're willing to stand up and assert that ambition and assert that will? And of course, most people won't and that will never change because it's too scary and too hard. So what people will do is push all this down and start to rationalize and they'll create religions and they'll create ideologies and the most beautiful, nice sounding ideas of all, but they're all fake. They're all a lie. They're all fiat. And what you need to do in order to break out of this is realize that that's what the matrix is. The matrix is the abstract projection of all the nonsense coming from the jargonites collected together that you grow up within, within the education systems, be it churches or priests or schools or whatever it is now, modern stuff, whatever's going on, that bubble of concepts floats around you and brainwashes you into being weak like them and being a liar like them and denying life. But your initiation is when you break out of that and connect with your emotions and dignify your emotions. Don't surrender to them and become some type of animal 
that is not in control of them. Work with them. Work with them like you would work with gods. Reason with them. Try to understand them. And then trust the ones that scream at you to do the crazy, courageous, brave, powerful things that assert you towards winning. And you will find yourself going on a very interesting destiny. Maybe even the act of trying where you take these risks and face these fears and actually let your ambition out might lead you to show up one day to these people that you used to talk about and try to get respect off. And there'll be something about you. You'll have this charge, this energy, this this proof of work in your body, in your nervous system, not in your words, in your nervous system, where you can say the simplest things, but people will respect you for it. So what you need to understand about all this is I'm talking about a secret reality of life. This reality that you've got this nervous system, this realm of psychology separated from the conceptual realm of your noggin's head. And it's got this impulse within it, these gods living within them. And they're very, very special and very, very powerful. There's this nascent flame of ambition living inside of us all. And it's if you can pour attention and energy, if you can worship that god, that god of ambition, that god of creativity, that god of excellence, if you can actually pour fuel upon that and allow it to flourish and explode out of you, this is what individuation is. This is what maximizing your potential is. This is what becoming the best version of yourself really, really is. And the problem, and the, this is the really the kind of head fuck about this whole game, is that nobody actually wants you to, to achieve this. The priestly types don't want you to become excellent. They want to create, they want to steal those words, such as individuate, meaning become an individual, stand out. They want to steal those words and attach them to the playing Pokemon Go with jargon. They want to attach it to archetypal labyrinths and puzzles and riddles and all this type of stuff. They want to attach individuation to like scouring through books and Reddit and obsessing about the correct way to interpret book cope. They don't want you to actually go down to the felt experience of your psychological reality, your nervous system, the feelings and tingles within your body that make you desire to be respected, make you desire to create something and manifest your, your dreams and actually make something happen and build something, create something in the world. The desire to drive innovators forward, entrepreneurs, artists, and creators, leaders, these type of characters. This, this, These people are possessed by a demonic energy, an energy that drives them towards incredible forces, the likes of Elon Musk and all this stuff. This is ambition. This is this will to power living inside them. And it's not an evil thing. It's not like Sauron will to power as they always try to frame. The priestly types always try to demonize this and say, oh, Nietzsche, he's talking about you. If you be like Nietzsche and connect with your emotions and listen to them, you'll be like a, a master morality and you'll you'll get out a big chain and you'll try chain everyone up and, and beat them up and say I am better than you and I am meaner than you and I hate you and all this type of stuff and that's all a lie it's all a straw man it's all it's all an attempt to demonize the best thing in you it's actually probably the closest thing we have to something that we could call truly evil because it's trying to crush the thing that is most glorious about you your ability to create your ambition your will to life your creative spirit your will to excellence, the part of you that wants to look at the world around you and think of a way that you can reorganize it to make it better, make it more beautiful, more profound, like Elon Musk wanting to build something beautiful like a spaceship to take us to the moon, like Nietzsche wanting to create a philosophy that allows us to pierce through reality and see exactly what's going on, like Galileo who wants to declare the truth firmly against the superstitions of the people around him, like like any creator, an artist who wants to actually break outside of the village and actually go create something weird and new that actually rejuvenates the village in and of itself. These people, these are the most precious treasures that they actually drive society forward and they're always hated by society, they're always ostracized 
criticized because the priestly types who are mediocre enough to actually be nice and be accepted by society always demonize them, always see them as threats towards their authority and power. And they always use pretty words in order to reassert this, but they always lie. They are fundamentally deniers. And my interest, and the reason why I'm making my program is because I see people from a litany of different perspectives. Some people need to get brought up and shown this way of seeing things and shown how to put together a plan so that they are able to actually overcome this stuff and deal with this stuff and actually like take on the world and, and, and begin overcoming the brainwashing from the priestly types to make their first big wins and first big steps and actually take action and like you know individuate and all this stuff and then of course there are those people like myself who have fought against this type of ostracization my whole life and even built something quite well for myself I'm doing pretty well. I've built my first everything, but I want to perfect this. This is, I'm only just starting, you know? I want to actually take this stuff and go among a group of people who understand this idea of ambition is good, innovation is good, creativity is good, and the skills. I want to, I don't, I don't want to obsess about like, is this the right thing or the wrong thing and all that. I just want to be like obsess about like, how do I make it better? How do I improve? How do I create? How do I take my creativity to the highest level? I don't want people coming in with their weak, um, you fake emotions, liar emotions, dishonest emotions that are trying to pull this down like crabs in the bucket trying to pull us all down. I want to invite on other innovators, other, other creators who want to come in and be like, I don't even care anymore. I'm I'm full of that frenzy and I want to know how I can actually bring it through. I want to release these dreams. I actually want to make this happen. How do I actually do this? And so my program is all about this. This is what I'm all about. This is what I'm seeing. It's that emotion and its foundation, that ambition and the full releasing and flourishing and maximizing of that ambitious potential that I care about. I don't give a fuck about anything else. I don't want to do anything else. This is the only thing that I care about. This is the only thing I want to obsess about. This is the only thing I want to focus about. And people will, you know, chip on your shoulder, give out about you, bitch about you, complain about you. But it doesn't fucking matter. It only matters that you actually sit down and get it done and make this stuff happen. So if you're interested in working with me, you can come on board my program. I've got many people working in it right now. You can go down the link in the description. There's an application form. You will talk to one of the members of my team entirely for free. They will sit down. They'll talk to you like a person person. They'll actually do like, what's the situation with your life? They'll see everything and see what's going on. They'll give you a tips. They'll, they'll say where everything's going on in that type of regard. It's all for free completely. You can just come in and have a chat. We'll pop down. We'll explain everything in there. So if you want to come on board, pop down the link in the description, application form. Thank you very much for watching. May the juice be with you and may the screaming ambition of frenzy lift you out of your position of, of fallenness towards the absolute astral powers of the stars. I will talk to you later, people. Stay juicy. Bye-bye.